You're listening to Scribblers Radio. You're listening to Scribblers Radio. You're listening to Scribblers Radio. Welcome to Scribblers Radio. Young podcasters interviewing authors at the Scribblers Festival 2021. This is Scarlett speaking with writer and illustrator James Foley. James creates comics, picture books, and middle grade novels, including the S. Tinker Inc. graphic novel series. Hi, James. Thank you so much for joining us. No worries. Thanks for having me. The first question is, where does the inspiration for your characters come from? Inspiration can come from all sorts of places. And so it depends on the book. So um, with my latest one, uh, Chicken Saurus, which is a comic book, it's like Jurassic Park with chickens. The inspiration for that came from a bunch of places. It came from the movie Jurassic Park, which is one of my favorite movies. It terrified me when I was about your age and I've always remembered it. And it also came from a bunch of random sketches in my sketchbook. I'd just been doing random drawings. I'd also been inspired a bit by learning some stuff about science, some real stuff, um, which is that apparently birds are like the great, 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 great grandchildren of dinosaurs. And in fact, scientists consider them to be still living dinosaurs. They're still part of the same family. And also... I learned that there are some scientists who are trying to create chicken sores in real life. They are taking the DNA of chickens and they're turning certain genes on and off and they've figured out how to make a chicken grow teeth on its beak and they're figuring out how to make it grow a tail, a long tail, and they're figuring out how to make it grow claws on its wings and they're going to do this probably in our lifetime. And I don't know what the purpose of that is. It's just like to learn about DNA and stuff. I don't think it's to try and take over the world. Maybe at the very least we'll be able to get like a chicken saurus snack pack at KFC. I'm not sure. But like inspired by all those sorts of things, um, I then pulled a bunch of random ideas and characters from my sketchbook together with this real science stuff I was learning about and together with my favourite movie and then it became this story called Chicken Saurus. That's really cool. Yeah. If you were stuck on a deserted island with one of your characters, which character would it be? Oh. Um, Sally Tinker because she's the world's foremost inventor under the age of 12 and she would be able to invent some stuff out of coconuts and wood and stuff that washes up on the beach to save us, to save our lives. Definitely Sally. That's a really good choice. Yes. Not Baby Joe because he'd be useless. He's just a baby. Yeah. What does it mean for you to have your graphic novel Chicken Saurus on the shortlist for the Comic Arts Award of Australia? Oh, it's wonderful. It's a big surprise. It's a great honour too. It's lovely to get a bit of recognition for stuff that you've worked on. Um, yeah, hopefully it helps um, a few more people see the book and hopefully a few more people read the book and enjoy it. It's really cool. Um, what is a day in the life of a child's book author? It's, it's way more boring than you would expect. Okay, this answer is going to be really boring. It depends on the day. Some days are really exciting, like today, where I get to come and run a workshop and use some ink and charcoal and get really messy and kids get all their hands dirty. Um, I then get to do a talk in front of a big audience and I get to come and do a cool podcast chat with you. Um, Days like this are really fun. But there's also days where I'm just sitting in a studio just drawing a page for a book and it's just me and maybe illustrate a friend of mine in the studio as well, Bryony Stewart, working on her book. And we're just sitting there, just working on stuff. And some days are really boring where we've just got to catch up on emails and do our tax. And so there's a bunch of different things. Sometimes we get to travel for our work. Not so much with COVID at the moment, but I've been able to visit um, Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane and Singapore and do online talks with kids from all over the world. So there's some really exciting stuff. But just like with any job, there's a few little boring parts. 
I know you're a lot on social media. Do you run those all by yourself or do you have like a team to help you organise them? I would love a team. I would love a team, but no, it's just me. It's just me. Um, I'm not rich and famous enough to have a team. But maybe one day, you know, maybe one day I could be like an Aaron Blavier and Andy Griffiths and be like, do my socials for me, please. Thank you very much. While I sit here and, and sip a ginger beer, non-alcoholic, that would be lovely. What's your opinion on digital books like ebooks and audiobooks? They're still books. They definitely still count as reading, of course. That's, that has to be said, even if it's audio. Um, audiobooks are great for people who are having long trips in the car with their kids. I have kids, so, you know, audiobooks are great. Um, they're definitely really useful. Uh, and one thing that's really important is that when we're authors and illustrators in Australia, we get little payments from the government for our books being in school and public libraries, but that only is, is for physical copies and it doesn't work for digital copies yet. And so we're asking the federal government to do the same thing for audiobooks and ebooks because it's still people um, borrowing our books and we're missing out on royalties for that sort of stuff. We want libraries to exist. We just want to be supplemented for that income. So that's an important issue about ebooks um, that, that we need to try and support for all authors. Yeah. Which book of yours would you most like to spend a week in? Oh, actually walking around in the world of? Yeah. Oh, that is a great question. And it's kind of a dangerous question because every book is full of some conflict or danger, really. So it's which one do I think I would survive for a week, probably, is the question. Would I survive in Chicken Saurus for a week with chicken dinosaurs running around trying to eat me? Probably not. I would probably last a day or half a day. Would I survive in Dungzilla with a giant dung beetle rolling an enormous ball of dung towards my town? Not sure. Perhaps. Would I survive in My Dead Bunny with a zombie rabbit trying to bite me and eat me? Probably not. Um, would I survive in There's Something Weird About Lena with a strange classmate who bites people on the bum and howls with laughter for random reasons and has a strange, mysterious, spooky secret? Um, probably not either. Look, I would try. I'd love to be in any of my books, but I would probably not survive a week. How do you overcome writer's block? Writer's block. Yeah, writer's block is is not something I I suffer from much anymore. The only thing that I would suffer from is just being really tired from probably working too hard or just having too many things on the go. Um, when I was a kid, though, I would suffer from writer's block, and usually it was because I was too scared of making a mark on the page because I thought it had to be perfect. Um, and nothing has to be perfect, um, especially first drafts. First drafts should be messy and bad, and that's okay. It's supposed to be bad because they're only the first draft. After a first draft comes a second draft and a third draft, and each draft improves upon the one before it. And none of my books are a first draft, yeah? All my books are... Uh, 10th, 11th, 12th draft. I've had one that was a 51st draft, literally. Like that was the one that ended up being the one that worked. So writer's block and, and illustrator's block, I think only comes about if you're afraid of it not being good enough or not being perfect. And that's not a worthwhile fear to hold on to because everyone's first drafts are a bit wobbly and they're supposed to be. And I guess the other thing, just to summarize all that, too long, don't read answer to this, is that anything that you make and create doesn't have to be for anyone except you. You just, you only have to make it for yourself and you don't have to show it to anybody else. And what anyone else thinks about it doesn't matter. Just make it for yourself. And it doesn't matter if it's any good or not. And then you can get over your writer's block. You can just try and have fun with what you're making. 
You talked about having a few things on a go in that question, in that answer. Do you tend to have more than one book on the go or do you just focus on one at a time? Good follow-up. Yes, I always have multiple on the go. I've usually got one main project that has a deadline coming up that I have to get done. But when there's gaps in that process where I've sent something off to the publisher and I'm waiting for them to get back to me, then I'll switch over to something else. So usually I've got usually I've got a fun, bunch of things on, on the go, but also usually I've got a bunch of bad ideas that aren't ready yet. <laughs> so I've got like the original and the initial idea for something and I haven't figured out how to make it work yet. I haven't figured out the ending or I've got the start and the end, but I don't know the middle. And so all writers and illustrators will usually have a bunch of those half-made ideas that are like half-baked and just not quite ready to go. And, and that's another reality of the process. You know, we all have probably more stories in us than we might even ever get the chance to finish. Um, and yeah, we'll try and juggle them as we go. If you weren't an author or an illustrator, what job would you do? What job would I do? I would love to be a school or a public librarian, I think. So I'd still be involved with books. I would love to be um, a primary school teacher, but I think I would just get exhausted. I don't know how primary school teachers do it. I don't know how they have the energy to do it 40 weeks of the year. It's so much work being a primary school teacher or a high school teacher as well. Um, so maybe like a, a school librarian, teacher librarian or a public librarian, they'd be my go-tos. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I'd be qualified or good at doing anything else. <laughs> I heard that you're a fan of Marvel. Yeah. So in the Civil War, which side do you take, Captain America or Iron Man? That is a really hard question. That is super, super hard. Look, if, if anyone out there has not seen the movie Civil War, um, we're not going to spoil it for you. But all you need to know is that after Avengers Age of Ultron, there was a thing called the Sokovia Accords put in place, which is a set of rules, laws, that superheroes have to abide by. And some of the superheroes said, sure, I'll sign up to that. And some of the superheroes said, no, I don't want the governments of the world telling me when I can use my powers or not. And so Iron Man was on the side of, no, we should sign up to the rules. We should follow the rules because he'd made a big mess in Age of Ultron. So I understand where he's coming from. But then Captain America, Steve Rogers, he was like, well, no, we shouldn't because maybe some governments of the world will want us to do stuff that's not the right thing to do. Or maybe they won't let us do something when we should do something. And I can understand where he's coming from because he just came out of Captain America Winter Soldier where S.H.I.E.L.D. was, oh, I shouldn't spoil that. If you haven't seen Captain Winter Soldier, but you know, something happened. And he's like, oh, maybe I don't want to listen to authority anymore. So um, I think they've both got really good points. Um, but but I think I think I've got to side with Cap at the end of the day because Iron Man was only acting out of guilt, really, from Age of Ultron. And I think Cap was right that he he knew when the right thing when it was right to do something and when it was right to not do something. But like I'm going to take too long to answer this because I'm a massive Marvel nerd. The only reason Cap is right, I think, is because he actually has the moral compass to do that, you know? He has the moral compass to be able to choose when it's right to do something and when it's not right to do something, whereas not any other character, I think, would be able to do that. I'm only choosing Cap because Cap is the leader of Cap, of Cap's team. That's my answer. Does that make any sense? Yeah. What's your answer? I'd have to side with Iron Man. <gasps> oh, why? Why Iron Man? Well, I think when... The rules are put in place, they're put there for a reason. True. And that they're put there because, yeah, they have a reason and that if everyone's working on the same boat, then we don't all just fly out and create havoc. Definitely. And I think Iron Man needs rules. He needs rules yeah. because otherwise he does silly things. Yeah. Cool. 
Well, let's not start a civil war over our difference. I think it's no. good to have differences of yeah. opinion with that. What's the worst job you've ever had? The worst job I ever had was at a shopping centre at a supermarket and it was called, I, I'm not lying, it was called Meat Cleanup. On a Saturday evening, at the end of the whole week of shopping, I had to go into the butcher department, deli and butcher department, and I had to clean out all the machines and clean the floor and I had to go through all the trays where all the meat is sold and I had to clean out all the like stuff that had leaked out of the trays out of the bottom of the containers of the shelves. It was disgusting and I lasted like three weeks. I would come home smelling, as you would imagine, pretty bad and I would just not talk to anyone and just get straight in the shower. It was awful and it was too much work for one person. It was just the worst. So if you ever get offered a job called Meat Cleanup, run for the hills. What's your favourite word? My favourite word? That's a really tough question. I'm not sure I'm a wordy enough person to be able to have a favourite word. I'm sure if you like ask the poets and the people who, are, who just write, they would have a great answer for you. But I'm illustrating half the time too, so I'm kind of between the two worlds. My favourite word? Oh. I, I, I did like the word cupcake. For a while, because it's fun to say, and also it's tasty to eat, the actual object that it refers to. Um, that was fun. And so I put that word in, in Brobot. Cupcakes have an important part in that story. Um, in my latest story, which is not even out yet, it's coming out in November, it's a picture book called Stelephant, about an elephant that wants to go to space um, to become an astronaut. Um, are there any good words in that one? I got to study the actual history of real animals that have been to space. And so there were some really funny names of animals that I'd never heard of before that have actually been to space. The Madagascar hissing cockroach has been to space. And so that was a fun name and a bunch of words that went together. I got to learn that Mongolian gerbils have been to space. And that's fun to say. Um, and tardigrades have been to space. Do you know what tardigrade is? No. Tardigrades are these microscopic animals that are also called water bears or moss piglets, all their names are really cute. And they're microscopic and they live in, in moss and wherever there's a bit of water. But they are one of the hardiest, most resilient creatures on the planet because if they dry up, they've got special proteins and stuff in their bodies that stops their cells exploding when they dry up. They can actually dry up and then get given water and they can come back to life. And they took these tardigrades up into space and the tardigrades were exposed to the vacuum of space and they survived. So they are amazing. Yeah, it's a tardigrade moss bear. Oh, sorry, moss piglet and water bear. They're fun words too. Yeah. You said, before, you said in that answer that you're an author and an illustrator. Yes. Is there any positive to doing both? Yeah, yeah. When you do both, you get to control the entire story. So you get to control both parts, the, the way the story is going to go, the plot, and also the way it's going to be drawn. But if you're just the illustrator, then... Um, it's not necessarily a bad thing to have the story already written. It can actually take the pressure off. It means that you just get to focus on drawing, and that's great. I don't think I've ever had a situation where I've looked at the story I'm illustrating and I've gone, oh, that bit of the story is rubbish. I don't want to draw that. That's silly. I would have done that differently. That hasn't really happened. So I've been really lucky with the writers I've worked with that they've been awesome writers. They've been a pleasure to illustrate for. Thank you so much for your time and joining me. No worries. Thanks for your question, Scarlett. It was great to meet you. Great to meet you too.
This interview was recorded for the Conversation Caravan at Scribblers Festival 2021. For more stories and info about the festival, head to scribblersfestival.com.au. This is R.A. Spratt and you're listening to Scribblers Radio.